from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. Have you ever had a time when you were uninvited and maybe feeling uninvited led you to feel unwanted, undesirable? When I was in first grade, I was pretty popular. No surprise, hey. But but the shocker is, I was not the most popular boy in my class. His name was Tommy Gardner. Why was Tommy Gardner more popular than me? I don't know. I assume the girls thought that he could supply them with vegetables and flowers. Gardner, right? Yeah. So so there was this uh, girl in our class named Amy. And for her birthday, Amy had a sleepover party. She invited all the girls in our class and Tommy Gardner. He came over to me. Are you invited to Amy's sleepover party? No. Are you invited to Amy's sleepover party? Yes. Uh, At at this point, you have to ask, what kind of girl invites a boy to a sleepover party? I don't know. It certainly makes you wonder about her character and moral purity. But she did. She invited him. And and Tommy Gardner accepted the invitation. What kind of boy would want to go to a girl's sleepover party? I don't know. But I wanted to go too. But I couldn't because I was uninvited. You know, so many people have come to a point where they believe that if there is a God, if he's offering relationship, if he brings some people to heaven when they die, he wouldn't for me. His attitude towards me would be, in the words of Alanis Morissette, but you, you're not allowed. You are uninvited. Perhaps you feel that way because maybe you've walked away from God or because of things you've done. You assume that you don't meet the standard of moral purity that must be necessary to gain the approval of a perfect God. If you feel that way, I have really good news for you. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked the earth claiming to be God. Uh, People weren't sure whether to believe that or not, but they assumed if he was God, he would be for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders at the time. They uh, taught everyone that God was for them, that God was for people who lived sinless lives, and they told everyone that they lived sinless lives. Now, the the truth is that they were not sinless, but they liked to think they were, and they acted like they were. And they said that to be acceptable to God, you had to follow the rules and follow the, the religious traditions, follow their ritualistic ordinances for purity, and keep yourself separate from anyone who is impure, who is sinful. And it quickly became obvious that there was a problem because Jesus was hanging out with prostitutes. Now, there were never uh, accusations of sexual impropriety. Uh, Jesus was never alone with prostitutes, but Jesus was friends with prostitutes. And prostitutes wanted to be around Jesus. If the Pharisees' approach to God was right, it should have been something Jesus was ashamed of, that that he hid from others. But Jesus didn't downplay it. In fact, he kind of shoved it in the face of the Pharisees. Like one time, Jesus 
said to some of the religious leaders, he said, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. And so some people started to think, well, if, if Jesus is a friend of prostitutes, well, I, I guess he's not God? Because we know God is not for the prostitutes. I mean, the, the Pharisees taught us that. And this whole situation came to a head one night at a Pharisee's house. We read about it in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So uh, this dinner party had a bunch of Pharisees and Jesus. Uh, before dinner, everyone would have gone through a ritualistic uh, cleansing as they did before every meal, ma making sure that they were purified from anything that might have defiled them from their time out in the world that day. As you read the story, uh, don't imagine a dinner party you might attend today. Uh, back then, this type of dinner party would have uh, involved hours of discussing uh, deep issues like uh, politics and, and social trends and theology. The, the meal would typically take place in an outer room of the house, and there would uh, often be a porch circling this outer room. The door of the house was left open so people from the town could, could come and they would sit on the porch and listen in on the conversation. So like back then, they did not have radio, they didn't have internet, they didn't have TV, right? And so people were not at home watching the Real Housewives of Jerusalem, I don't know. Um, they, they, were, they were getting to listen in on the dinner conversation. That was like the best entertainment available. And, and it was probably a really interesting night out on the porch. It was typical for the Pharisees to gather for a meal to talk about God and theology. And the crowd who would typically gather to listen were those who aligned themselves with the Pharisees and were therefore interested in what they had to say. But on this night, Jesus was also at the table. And though Jesus, like the Pharisees, claimed to represent God, he had a, a very different sort of fan base. Uh, Garth Brooks might say that Jesus had friends in low places. In fact, one of the ways the Pharisees would put Jesus down is by saying that he was a friend of sinners. But Jesus didn't take it as an insult. He would just kind of smile and explain that, yes, that, that's true. That's, that's why he came. He came for people who are far from God, people who had messed up, were down and out, broken and in need of healing. And he would tell these people that God was for them. And so, out on the porch that night, listening in on the dinner conversation, in addition to the, the self-righteous fans of the Pharisees, there were probably a group of sinful fans of Jesus. What happens next? Shocked, shocked 
everyone. Uh, next verse says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So the, the words, a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, were almost certainly code for she was the town prostitute. And she was uninvited, not only to this party, but everywhere she went because of her lack of character and moral purity, because she was the kind of girl who invited boys over for sleepovers. So the town prostitute learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and she shows up uninvited. She made her way across town, walks up onto the crowded porch, and the people on the porch knew who she was. And so they're thinking, what is she doing here? But she walks right through this crowd and into the house. Shocking. From the perspective of the Pharisees, this despised woman entering the room would have destroyed the ritual purity they had established for the evening. And she would have known how they viewed her, what they would think of her presence there with them. But it didn't matter. She couldn't help herself. Next verse says, As she stood behind him, Jesus, as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So she walked in uh, carrying the most precious thing she owned. The prized possession for a woman back then was an alabaster jar of perfume. Uh, this was a, a bottle with no handles and a long neck. To get the perfume out, you had to break the neck off. So this wasn't, um, this was not like your daily perfume. This was more like your savings account. It, it could only be used once. This had always been her treasure, but something had changed. Jesus was now her treasure. And to show him that, she, she walks up, she takes this jar, breaks it open, and pours its contents out on to Jesus' feet. Realizing that Jesus' feet are now wet, not only from the perfume, but also from her tears, because she can't stop crying. She, she wants to dry Jesus' feet. And not having a towel, she, she lets down her hair and starts using her hair to wipe his feet. But in that time, Jewish women, uh, proper Jewish women, did not unbind their hair in public. To, to do so was considered scandalous. It was almost considered pornographic in their culture. This woman had a complete disregard for the opinions of anyone in that room except for Jesus. Her focus is only on Jesus. And in this moment, everyone's focus is on Jesus. What will he do? And the, the Pharisees and their focus is definitely on Jesus. In fact, we're told what the host Pharisee is thinking. The next source says, when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is 
a sinner. The, the Pharisees assumed uh, that Jesus didn't realize this woman was a prostitute. Thus, he must not be God as he claimed or even a prophet. But because if he were, he would know who she was and he would not allow her near him. Because the Pharisees believed godly people, religious people, sinless people don't hang around sinners. And they would certainly never allow themselves to be touched by a sinner. Basically, this guy is thinking, Jesus, you are not who you claim to be, are you? And I love how Jesus responds. Because the Pharisee is thinking, you don't know people the way someone from God would know people. And Jesus basically responds, oh yeah? Well, I know you. In fact, I just read your mind. Let me show you. It says, Jesus answered him. But remember, the guy didn't say anything out loud, right? He said it to himself. He's just thinking thoughts. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And the reason they asked that is because they knew only God can forgive sins. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, that's Jesus claiming to be God. And then, uh, next verse says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Oh, what a story. What a story. And, and reading it, you've got to ask, why did this woman come out and, and do this? Well, Jesus says it's because she had been forgiven much. She, she couldn't help but express her gratitude. Apparently, this woman, maybe earlier that day or the day before at some point, had, had met Jesus, had, had heard Jesus speak, had heard his message of love and forgiveness, which, which makes me curious. I mean, I wonder what it was she heard Jesus say. Luke, who shares this story, doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching in that town that day. But we might be able to figure it out. Earlier in Luke's uh, chapter, we're told that some disciples of John the Baptist had shown up to ask Jesus whether he was really the Messiah. And in chapter 11 of Matthew, one of the other books, Gospels, that go through the life of Jesus, we also read about that same incident when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus. So, same day. That happened. This happened on the same day. 
okay? Luke just didn't tell us about that. Well, Matthew uh, does tell us what Jesus was preaching that day. So imagine this woman. Um, she's the town prostitute, right? She's probably standing in the back of the crowd looking at Jesus, listening to Jesus. This man who claimed to represent God, a man who was obviously so different than, from any man she had ever met. And, and then he speaks and here's what he taught that day. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Can you imagine how that sounded to her. And who knows how she had gotten where she was, what had happened to her. That the vast majority of women in the sex industry today were abused as children, often sexually abused. Maybe that was her story. I don't know. I, I know that women back then, their parents, if they needed money, would sell their daughters into sex slavery. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how she got there, but she had grown up into a life of condemnation, being condemned by others, and I would assume condemning herself. I mean, she didn't grow up hoping to become a prostitute, right? No little girl grows up dreaming about that. No one grows up planning on being ashamed of themselves, of their sin. They just end up there. And she had. And she thought she would always stay that way. She would always be uninvited, unwanted undesirable, except by men who just wanted to use her. Who would help her out of this life? The, the, the only response she received from anyone was condemnation, and that didn't change her. Pointing out her sins didn't lead her away from her sins. Shame didn't set her free. So, so she thought this was her life, and it would always be her life. But here's Jesus, who claims to be God, and he's saying, come to me, be yoked to me. So a, a yoke was, is a wooden instrument that uh, connects two animals together so that they, they, they stay together and walk at the same pace. So, so this was Jesus saying, hey, I want a, a, a connected relationship with you. I, I am gentle and humble in heart. I won't condemn you. I'm offering you forgiveness and I can set you free. You are not defined by your sin. You are not captive to your sin. You can be free. I can give your soul what it needs. Rest. And I can give you new life. And in that moment, she realized that it didn't matter who she was, what she had done, what anyone else thought of her. God was for her. She was invited, and she said yes. She accepted that forgiveness. And later, she hears that Jesus is at, at the house of Simon the Pharisee for dinner. And, and so, man, she grabbed her most valued treasure, and she headed over, and she walked in, and this broken woman broke her jar 
perhaps symbolizing that her life, which is truly a person's most treasured possession, had been broken, but was now being put back together and made whole. And Jesus explained to Simon that the reason she did it is because of her gratitude, because she had been forgiven much. And Jesus makes the point that Simon, who who falsely feels superior and who falsely considers himself sinless, well, he didn't feel a need to be forgiven. And so he wouldn't understand an extravagant act of love like this. And to make sure no one missed the point, he turns to the woman and he smiles at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And only, only God can forgive sins. And so by saying your sins are forgiven, Jesus is just reasserting his claim to be God. Can you imagine what went through people's minds as they heard Jesus say all this? And out, out on the porch, shockwaves went through the crowd because inside were the Pharisees and the prostitute, and it was obvious that Jesus was for the prostitute. What they were hearing was Jesus basically saying that God was for the prostitutes, not the Pharisees. And in the house was the prostitute, broken pieces of the jar on the floor all around her, still not able to stop crying, using her hair as a, as a sham wow to dry Jesus' feet. And what she's heard was that her broken life was being made whole. Jesus was offering her a new life, no longer living a life of condemnation, but living a life of peace, P- peace with other people, peace with herself, and most importantly, peace with God. She, she was invited, and you are invited. You might think you're not. You, you might feel like you've gone too far for God, like you've outsinned his grace. No, that's the power of this story. And she was, she was who everyone considered the worst of sinners. And Jesus showed everyone that God was for her. And God is for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. What matters is what Jesus has done for you. It doesn't matter how imperfect you've been because his love for you is perfect. All that matters is that you say yes to Jesus. Yes to his love. Yes to what he did on the cross for you. When you say yes to him, uh, just like he did uh, that day with with the woman that day, Jesus will turn to you and he will say, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And that, and that changes everything. You, you realize that you are not who you thought you were, that your sin does not define you, that you are loved. You are loved much, and you are forgiven much, and that leads you to love him much because God is for you. You are invited. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So you can go to God 
in peace. So I, I told you how I was uninvited to Amy's first grade sleepover birthday party. She invited only one boy, and it was Tommy Gardner. But I wanted to be un, uninvited. I, I wanted in. And so I wrote Amy a letter. It went like this. I don't remember word for word, but pretty much went like this. I wrote, Dear Amy, I heard about your party. I was talking to Tommy. He's glad you invited him, but he's the only boy you invited. And, well, that's kind of weird for him, you know, being the only boy since you only invited one boy. Anyway, just thought you'd want to know. And Amy wrote me a, a note back. Uh, it said, okay. You're invited. Yes, yes. Never underestimate the power of manipulation, especially on unsuspecting first grade girls with questionable moral character. The good news is you don't need to manipulate God to wanting you. You don't need to convince him that you're acceptable. You don't have to beg him to invite you because you're already invited. All you have to do is realize God is for you and say yes. And you could do that today. You can say yes today. If you want to do that, um, you know, maybe right now you're like, I've just never understood it like this. Or maybe you're, you're thinking, I, I've, I've never known God loved me like that. I, I've never known his love is bigger than my sin. Yeah, you're invited and you can say yes. You, you can do that right now. In fact, in a minute, uh, I'm going to pray a yes prayer that you could pray. And if you say yes to God's invitation, the next step is to get baptized. Uh, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, baptism is when a person is lowered underwater and then raised back up. And it symbolizes being buried, like you're ending your old life without God, and then you're raised up to a new life in God's love. So um, if you're here in Vegas, we're doing baptisms at our worship night on Thursday, December 8th, 7.02 p.m. right here in this building. Um, you can get baptized that night. How cool would that be? Uh, if, you're, if you're not here in Vegas, but you're like, I, I would like to get baptized, and we will help you figure that out. We'll come to you. We'll bring you out. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, Either way, let us know that you're thinking about it at verb.cc. You'll see there's buttons you can click. Click on the baptism button. That's not a commitment you're promising to do it. That's just you saying, hey, contact me. I will personally reach out and contact you um, and, uh, and just see where you're at if you have questions and no pressure. But if you're thinking about that, we'd love to help you take that next step. You're invited. And God is hoping you'll say yes today. And once you say yes, when you realize that you are loved like that, and you just want to share that love. You want to let everyone know that they are invited. And that, that's what we do. That's who we are. We are people who have said yes to the love of God and who share his love, whose lives have been changed by Jesus, and we want everyone to experience that. So, um, so let's pray for that. Ready? Let's pray. God, maybe, maybe there's someone right now um, watching this who's like, I, I just feel this inside of me. I, I want in. I didn't know I was invited. I want to say yes. So this prayer, God, is, is our prayer, God. I say yes. God, I say yes to your love. I say yes to Jesus. 
I say yes to what he did on the cross for me. I say yes to putting him in the driver's seat of my life, letting him lead me the rest of my life. God, I want to come to you, and I want to be connected forever with you. And uh, if baptism's the next step, I want to do that too. God, we know that uh, you tell us there's a party breaks out in heaven when someone says yes. God, for those of us who have said yes, help us to never, never forget or doubt your love and help us to want to share it with others, to let other people know that they too are invited. God, we pray all these things in the name of the one who came for us. In Jesus' name, amen.